What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> ECW World Heavyweight Champion. The ECW. When you want to load down the professional wrestling, come right here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You'll get all the load down. <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the, on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. It just You said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. but Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. I used to DJ weddings before I did comedy. I was the worst DJ. I wouldn't play anybody's songs. I was so rude to people. I lasted like a month. I remember this one guy comes up. Uh, yeah, can you play hot, hot, hot? I'm like, no. <laughs> Didn't you hear that in the car on the way over here? Get the hell out of here. Go back to your table, stupid. <laughs> then I got that one drunk guy come up every wedding. Yeah, can you play Meatloaf Paradise, put a dashboard light? I go, why? See when your girlfriend could sing the verses back and forth to each other on the dance floor? He's like, yeah, no. <laughs> You and your mullet go back to your trailer and go watch wrestling. And stop eyeing up your sister, okay? This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by Bananas Comedy Club in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. This coming weekend, Friday, April 1st, and Saturday, April 2nd, today's guest, Jim Florentine, will be appearing live at Bananas Comedy Club, first on Friday night at 9 p.m., and then on Saturday at 7.30 p.m., and later on in the night at 10 p.m., please call 201-727-1090 for more information. Again, it's 201-727-1090 for tickets, event information, and anything else you need to know about the upcoming shows at Bananas this weekend with Jim Florentine. Also visit bananascomedyclub.com for more information on said events. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. And John, I'm absolutely and unbelievably stoked to welcome in today 
our guest, Jim Florentine. You already heard me say it. Yes, that's right. The podcaster, actor, comedian, telemarketer, terrorizer, star of Crank Yankers, co-host of That Metal Show. Amazing credits to his name, and it's Jim Florentine joining us for what else? To talk about professional wrestling, and you're asking yourself, why would a comedian at the status of Jim Florentine join the two-man power trip of wrestling? Well, you're going to go and check out I'm Your Savior, his brand new one-man show coming to iTunes on April 1st, where Jim Florentine talks about his history growing up as a huge professional wrestling fan. That's right. Huge fan Going back to the days of the superstar Billy Graham, Bruno San Martino, Ernie Ladd, Ken Patera days of the WWF, and back where we all grew up in Jersey, the WWF, and then later the WWF had a stranglehold on where we all kind of grew up, and that's because, you know, if you know Jim Florentine, he's a Jersey guy. He grew up just a little bit north of where John and I grew up, so a lot of the places that he mentions, we of course know them very, very well. And we've talked about our history with the New Jersey independent scene of the late 90s and some of the places that they mentioned on those shows are where the WWWF used to run. And as a kid, Jim Florentine would go to these shows with his buddies in his neighborhood and they would really have a pretty interesting time. And John, uh, uh, that story alone is worth the price of admission for this episode because... Uh, there was a guy who took a little bit of an interest in Jim, and it we got a little, uh, it got a little out there. And the story that Jim tells is uh, is pretty funny. But to go back to "I'm Your Savior," a show that took two years to put together is really the history and life story of Jim Florentine, where it covers some tragedies in his life. It covers his, you know, growing up as a fan of heavy metal, growing up wanting to get into comedy, and also you know touching on his time as a wrestling fan as a kid. But if you know about Jim Florentine, you know his history as like the telemarketer, terrorizing extraordinaire. He has a history of CDs that just, it's called Terrorizing Telemarketers. What do you think it is? It's him just busting the balls of so many telemarketers calling for stupid crap. And he had the wherewithal to get a tape recorder and start recording these things. And of course, in the vein of the Jerky Boys, and we'll get into that as the episode develops. But also from that metal show where he, Eddie Trunk and Don Jameson, have some of the greatest guests in the history of rock and roll and heavy metal appear in an interview format. And it's really cool because it's so casual and they get these guys talking just like how we do on our show. And then you got to think about how he does his podcast, the Comedy Metal Midgets podcast on the Riotcast.com network, where, again, it's just it's casual observations that turn into an hour or so of just comedy gold, whether it's awful Facebook posts or awful vanity plates or awful slang words or just things that he hates like CrossFit or uh, dumb things like uh, people who use ketchup or fantasy sports. Uh, it's just it's always a journey of ridiculous comedy and of course i'm such a huge fan of florentine I-, I can't hide it the professionalism goes right out the window in this episode for me and john when i welcome you in here i really would like and prefer that you stick to the script that i gave you when we were deciding to talk about what we were going to in this intro well i know chad you wanted me to come on here and say that I was so impressed by your knowledge of Jim Florentine and how much of a mark you are for him and and you know your knowledge of him was just unbelievable but I'm not going to say that I'm just going to call you a fanboy and say that you like Jim Florentine maybe a little too much how do you like that no but in all all seriousness um I love uh, how in depth that we got with him you definitely covered a great deal and obviously 
you're a big fan of him. I'm a big fan of him. And you had great stories about seeing him down in the Baltimore, Maryland area, which was real cool. And we definitely got into some great stuff about Crank Yankers, about his telemarketing stuff, where he used to terrorize them with the prank calls. So we love getting into that. Talk a little bit about the Jerky Boys, a little bit about Richard and Sal. But the thing, obviously, that comes to mind, and, and it's obviously the most important part to our show, since we are the two-man power trip of wrestling, is his wrestling knowledge and his history of the wrestling business. And his stories of wrestling are just awesome. And to think about Jim Florentine as the comedian, he's hilarious, he's great. So anytime that you can mix comedy and wrestling, it's just it's right in our wheelhouse. It's gold to us. So we absolutely love that combination. And his stories of being a young fan and basically having a predator after him, a child predator after him and, and his friends, his brother and stuff. It's just crazy to think that he, he turned that around and made it into something so funny and just so hilarious that it was great. I absolutely love that he's telling a story about this guy and you'll you heard it in the interview it's great but I'll, you know just mention a few things about it. He'll, he'll mention a story about this guy kind of... Uh, terrorizing him and his friends and being a child predator and he goes into the fact where he didn't care as much because he got a picture of bruno san martino so funny stuff like that we just loved crazy stories that he would tell about that guy and his history in the wrestling business loved his stuff when he was talking about superstar billy graham ivan koloff campatera and he has a hilarious take on bob Backlund and why he hated his title run and he really didn't like the bob Backlund character so just great stuff all around from the legendary Jim Florentine, and he's absolutely hilarious, and we absolutely loved having him on. If that is not the understatement of the century, I don't know what is, because I got to tell you, it was probably one of my favorite interviews that we've done so far, and that is simply because, you know, I'm just such a big supporter of Florentine's that it was uh, very uncharacteristic of the show, but it really worked out very well, and I really hope that people enjoy this interview, and if you did, please let that be known on social media. Please let that be heard, because I would love to do more like this. I would love to do interviews where we can get that extra take. We've done some celebrity involvement in the past when we had Nick Searcy from FX's Justified. You know, we've had on uh, Hermie Sadler from uh, the NASCAR world, so I'd love to do some more things like this, but the standout is always going to be Jim Florentine in my eyes. And again, we thank Jim so much for coming on. It was really awesome of him to spend a couple minutes and just dive deep into some old school 1970s WWWF with the likes of Bob Backlund and Bruno San Martino and superstar Billy Graham and Greg the Hammer Valentine and just so many awesome, really cool names that we get to touch on during the show. But please, we really implore you to go over to iTunes and purchase I'm Your Savior, available on April 1st. If you're listening to this within the next day or so, use the code FLORENTINE and you'll get the special for 5 bucks. If not, if you want to get it in a physical form, head on over to JimFlorentine.com and pick up that bad boy and really give a hell of a listen to a show that was two years in the making and the life story of Jim Florentine, the ups and downs of making it in comedy with a little tragedy along the way, but a lot of laughs. 
And if you're in that New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area, head on over to Bananas Comedy Club on April 1st and April 2nd for Jim Florentine appearing three times in two days. One on Friday night at 7 p.m. and then two times Saturday at 7.30 p.m. and also at 10 p.m. Call 201-727-1090 to see Jim Florentine live at Bananas Comedy Club in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. You can go to bananascomedyclub.com and a ringing indoor from myself definitely check out his show it's very very funny it's very interactive he definitely calls out on things that are going on around the stage and it's just it's you never know what you're going to get and bananas is an amazing club in north jersey they always do it upright some of the greatest comedians in history have graced the stage at bananas comedy club and it's a real top-notch organization. It's a real top-notch comedy club. And again, Jim Florentine will be gracing that stage April 1st and April 2nd, 201-727-1090 for ticket reservations and to get more information about these shows. And with that being said, John, I'm going to give it to you the rest of the way. Hit them with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the man himself, Jim Florentine. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at WrestlingPal and at Two Man Power Trip. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, check out the feed for prior great episodes featuring the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Stan the Lariat Henson, Dale the Patriot Wilkes, Matt Morgan. Homicide, and so, so, so many more, so please check that out. Also, you can check us out on Player FM, the I-95 Sports Network, and the Top Rope Press Radio Network on TopRopePress.com. Also, please check out our Pro Wrestling T-Store. It is new, and it is awesome. So check out the TMPT, Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling page, on ProWrestlingTees.com, and order one of our shirts today. Also, wire over there. Scroll over to the Kevin Thorne page where you can become a member of the Bite Club. And speaking of Kevin Thorne, if you're looking to book Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. And now, without any further ado, one of the funniest comedians of all time... He is the crank yanker himself, the terrorizer of the telemarketer. He is Jim Florentine. Please. But, you know, like I said, yeah, a little bit of a departure for the two-man power trip of wrestling. But uh, we're thrilled to have you on tonight. Look, I was a huge wrestling fan when I was a kid. Um, right in my living room right now, I got all these action figures that my five-year-old son is into from, like, the WWF guys from, like, 76 to 84. We got, like, 35 of them. He plays with them every day. And I'm, I, I was just showing him YouTube videos of Stan the Man Stasiak and the hard punch. Yes. 
Now that's awesome, and that's uh, you know that's kind of I guess you know we'll get uh, we'll kind of we'll get rolling here, but that's uh, what I wanted to bring up, and that's uh, the perfect tie-in for you being on the show is the fact that you were a huge wrestling fan growing up, and it's cool to see that now you got your son uh, getting involved on in the action and raising him the right way by showing him the old school stuff. Yeah, I start with the old school stuff. He doesn't really like the new stuff for some reason. Um, you know, he, he he starts with the action figures and he watches some of the matches, but he loves like Georgie Animal Steel and and all that stuff. I don't, for some reason, he stick he he likes the old guys, which is great for me. You know, I used to go to the matches in the you know Madison Square Garden like late seventies. My dad would bring me twelve, fourteen years old. Our sixth grade teacher brought us to the garden to see like San Martino versus Superstar Billy Graham and. Stand a man Hansen and stuff. So I went to so many matches as a kid. No, that's uh, that's so awesome. And what a heyday to watch, you know, and be a fan of because those guys are timeless. And they're like, they laid the groundwork for really what was like the 80s pro wrestling, then which laid the groundwork for the 90s, which now has kind of gone stagnant and is basically, uh, it's kind of uh, it's kind of embarrassing to watch it on a weekly basis. But uh, yeah, starting with that, with the 70s, you know, Madison Square Garden, you can't get any bigger than going to the Mecca. But, uh, you know, what drew you in as a fan originally? I don't, you know, it was on Channel 9 at like midnight on Saturday night. And, you know, us, me and the kids in the neighborhood, for some reason, just took a liking to it, you know. And, uh, you know, we're into sports and stuff like that. But then it was just a pro wrestling really was uh, did it for us. You know, there were such characters back then, you know, you know. Freddie Blassie as a manager, and the Grand Wizard, and Captain Lou Albano, and then you know Superstar Billy Graham was my favorite wrestler when I was growing up too. So, and he was on top for a long time. Which you know, it's so funny how you know Hulk Hogan and Jesse the Body Ventura totally took his persona. Without, I mean, you know, if it wasn't for Superstar Billy Graham. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know, just the way uh... he was talking in interviews and all that stuff. Yeah, you know what was weird about Madison Square Garden when I was a kid? You had to be 16 years old to get into the matches, to get into Madison Square Garden, because they said there was good, in case there was blood during the matches, which usually the, the ones at the garden, there was always blood because they weren't on TV. So somebody right. was always bleeding. So I would have, I, I'd wear my mom's high heels, like the Gene Simmons high heels, like the eight-inch eight, eight inch platform shoes and wear bell bottoms to cover them just so I look taller so I can get in and get to see the matches. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, you got to do what you got to do, especially to get in there to uh, to see a couple of superstar Billy Graham poses. You know, and see uh, Bruno, who, you know, obviously uh, a little bit before John and I's time, but, you know, apparently Bruno was the man who uh, who drew everybody in and would uh, cause a little bit of a frenzy with uh, with the fans of MSG. Bruno was always, you know, because it was a big, you know, a bunch of Italians would go. So, you know, Bruno was the Italian guy. So they kept them, you know, champ for a long time. And then. You know, superstar guy, and then I, you know, I guess uh, Koloff won it for a little bit, but Bob Backlund was the worst, was the worst champ of all time, the boringest <laughs> champ. He's uh, he's a character uh, onto himself. Not only you know, maybe not the most exciting guy, but uh, we interviewed Bob uh, not too long ago. He's got a book out with some uh, some crazy stories about uh, you know that '70s era, and Bob is a Bob is a character to say the least. I you know I'm sure he's a great guy and stuff like that. Just the character that he played, it was just you know it went from you know San Martino, even though he was a good guy, was still exciting. You know he he would mix it up and he could fight and stuff like that. But Backlund was just I don't know. And then Graham had the belt and Koloff for a little while. That it just I don't know. To me, it just it, it, he was kind of like a dud until like Hulk Hogan took over and just you know took it to another level. Right, and then of he was course, more you know, of a scientific was... wrestler. That was the thing. He was like more of a scientific wrestler. I'm like, nobody, nobody wants to see that as a champ. 
Right, and especially coming off a of superstar who was the most, like, charismatic loud, you know, boisterous guy with the flamboyant look and, you know, the, the, you know, the earrings, the boas, all that stuff. Uh, Bob Backlund, a little bit of a change and definitely uh, for New York, you know, who do you think they want to root for? <laughs> they don't want to root for, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Opie, Bob Backlund. They want to root for uh, the guy like Superstar. Yeah. Now, what's kind of funny is, you know, I want to tie it into, uh, you know, one of the reasons that we got you on today, and that's because you got your one-man show I'm Your Savior coming out on April 1st on DVD, CD, and digital download. And if you know anything about your career, and, you know, of course, uh, I'm a big fan, so I, I know a little bit about the background. One of the stories that you talk about on the one-man show, which the critically acclaimed one-man show, I'm Your Savior, from a few years back, you talk about uh, a very odd experience that you had while growing up a wrestling fan. I know it's kind of funny. If you want to you talk about it, we can, but... Uh, I definitely think it's a little comical. Uh, one of the, uh, the, the the crazy patrons outside of Madison Square Garden selling pictures to a uh, a young Jim Florentine. Yeah, there was a guy that was, you know, he was a wrestling photographer, so he was in the front row at all the matches, and he'd be outside the garden, and you buy him a dollar a picture. You know, and that, most of the matches weren't on TV, so he'd he'd travel all around the difference, you know, get you know, and. And so we do, we would just go right to him at every match. Go, oh, we got to find this guy. We got to find him, and we buy a bunch of pictures. And then he's like, "Hey, I could send you some pictures in the mail if you want." You know, I get them all the time, and we're like, "Oh, that'd be amazing. That'd be great. We were the first ones on the block to have these pictures." So he got us her address. Then he then he had his then he said, "Give me your number. I could tell you who won the matches." Like he go down to a match in like Baltimore, Maryland. We we had no idea. There was no internet. You didn't know who won those matches. So he would go, I'll call you, I'll tell you who won. I'm like, all right. And, you know, then I'm like, this is a little weird that, you know, some, like, 38-year-old wants to talk to a bunch of 14-year-olds on the phone. Little do I know, like, we go to a match down in, like, Asbury Park Convention Hall, and um, we have, like, these nosebleed seats. It's just me and my, like, there was, like, five 14-year-old kids. Maybe we were 15 at the time. Our parents let us take the train down there, so we didn't, have, you know, we didn't have any adult supervision, and um, we had nosebleed seats, and he came up, and he's like, hey, I got a couple seats down the front. If a couple guys want to come down there, we're like, yeah. So me and my friend Mike went down there, and when we got down there, there was only there was, there was two seats. And we're like, wait a minute, who, so we're, we're short a seat. He goes, no, somebody has to sit on my lap. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, somebody's got to sit on my lap. He goes, There's only, I go, I'm that's I go. You didn't say that. He goes. Well, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm like, oh, I'm going back up there. And then all of a sudden, like Andre started coming out. I'm like, oh my god. I'm like a foot away from Andre. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll take first shift. So I sat on his lap. <laughs> and he was nibbling. And, then, uh, and he nibbled on my ear at one point. And I got all mad at him. And he's like, I'm sorry, man. Let me let me give you some pictures to keep your mouth shut. You know what I mean? So basically, he would just you know do little things to us, to, and we give he give us pictures to not say anything. Right, and that's uh, what's kind of funny about that is, you know, it's it's almost funny to say it was, uh, you know, 70s, 80s. Uh, you could kind of get away with being a little bit of a creeper. And people didn't really turn their head because uh, it wasn't like today where, you know, you blow the whistle and, uh, you know, 90 uh, million people can see uh, what's going on. But was that the was the nibble on the ear, the red flag, that this guy was, uh, was definitely uh, into maybe something a little bit more than uh, Andre the Giant coming at him? Yeah, he probably was, but he gave me a picture of Ivan Koloff with the belt, and that was worth a lot at the time because he only had it for nine days, so it was worth it. <laughs> and one of the cool things about your show is you use the pictures 
that you did uh, you did get from this. Uh, yeah, yeah, fellow. I have all the pictures that he actually gave me for, you know, give me a kiss. In the, you know, I, and then I'd see him at the next match. Like, give me a kiss in the cheek. I'm like, for what? He goes, I haven't seen you in a while. I'm like, I, I go, I'm not doing that. He's like, I'll give you a picture. He goes, pick out whatever one you want. I'm like, I'll take this one, Superstar Billy Graham, bleeding. Okay. So I give him a kiss in the cheek. I didn't want to, but it was a rare picture. So I got all those, I saved all those pictures. So I show them in the slideshow during the one-man show. It's a whole story about, well, you know, what went down and all that stuff. But I still have all the pictures of, you know, Ivan Putski and Chief J and, and Andre the Giant as a tag team and all these. So, you know, for wrestling fans, they'll love it. Cause they're, yeah, and that, that, that's actually the pictures that, you know, the guy took advantage of me for, and I never got rid of. Too good, of, too good of a memory. Oh yeah, of course. You know the highlight. Every time you look back, you're like, oh, that's the nibble right there. That picture. Can't forget that one. Yeah, my guy. I sat on his lap for that one, but you know, at least I got Ken Patera. <laughs> the Olympic strongman, definitely, uh, definitely worth a uh, a lap sit, I would say. But I, lo- now, I love Ken cool- Patera. He was one of my favorites too. Well, yeah, you know, another one, uh, bleach blonde look, you know, Olympic strongman, uh, definitely, you know, before he ran into a little bit of trouble uh, a little bit later in his career, another guy who really uh, stood out amongst those, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, a little boring uh, acts of the uh, of the 70s. And his, and his, and his brother was an a, a NFL coach for the Seahawks, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. Well, um, you re- what was his name? You remember? Jack Patera. Jack Patera, yeah, there you go. Wow, okay. I never put two and two together on that one. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. But what another cool thing about your show is that, you know, there, it took two years for you to put the show together, which is, you know, awesome in itself. And now a lot of wrestling guys are getting into the one-man show and taking their stories on the road. But obviously as a comedian and living your life on the stage and, you know, amassing stories. You'd think that, you know, you'd want to sit and maybe, you know, write the perfect joke or you want to come up with the perfect routine. But to tell your story, your whole life story, and there's a lot of cool stuff that you've, you've gone through outside of just comedy, but what was it like to put that together and, you know, pen to paper and really go step by step from really your childhood throughout some pretty, uh, pretty crazy moments of your adult life? Well, yeah, I mean, it was it, the whole story basically is my, yeah, my, the story of my, you know, life starting through, you know, when I was a little kid and basically like the troubled women I've met throughout my life that have always been in these crazy relationships. But and the wrestling picture story fits in because I was, you know, when, when I was a kid, I was into like heavy metal music and hard rock and I was like, in a, you know, uh, you know, kind of like a loner or an outsider and stuff like that. So I didn't. So I, no girls really wanted. I, I I couldn't get a girlfriend. I had no rap. I was shy. So I get into pro wrestling. You know what I mean? That's what you did. All the all the kids in the neighborhood, you know, we didn't have girlfriends at fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, which most guys do. So we were in the pro wrestling like heavy metal. So that was the other outlet you had if you you know you weren't going to house parties and trying to get laid. So and then eventually you know I'd be you know the good friend the girls you know the guy that would you know pick the you know, to grow up from the airport or pick them up at the nightclub because they're all drunk. You know, and I was really in love with them, but they wanted nothing to do with me. They would just, you know, make me buy them dinners and then wouldn't give me anything at the end of the night. I was that guy. <laughs> but, you know, like the actual and then eventually, story, And then, oh. I eventually I turned in, then eventually I turned into, like, you know, you know, a, a jerk, basically. I, you know, I just I decided to grow my hair long. You know, New Jersey, late 80s, early 90s. Everyone had long hair, grew my hair long, and then I started, you know, getting girls and stuff like that. But then I was always attracted to the crazy, wild ones, the troubled ones. 
you know, and, uh, you know, just led it to, you know, disastrous relationships. Right, and that's what I wanted to say. New Jersey is the backdrop for a lot of uh, of your story. And John and I, of course, both uh, both Jersey guys ourselves, we can definitely uh, we can definitely relate to a lot of the uh, the cool experiences that you have. But you know, heavy metal being such a big part of your whole entire story is just is so cool to hear. You know, and see what you've gone on to do and being a part of that metal show for eight, what was it, eight seasons that that metal show had on VH1 Classic. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but. Um, talk about how music really played such a big part in your life, and you, like you said, it was uh, wrestling and music. But you know, your love for heavy metal is uh, still pretty, uh, pretty big today. Well, that way, it was just you know that's what, when you were into it as a kid. You just you know that that's the way you express yourself through the music. You know, you didn't have a lot of friends, or you you know you weren't that you know you you were socially awkward, so you would listen to music, and that's how you would get your you know let out your aggression or just feel good or get you out of a bad mood or get your ass to school in the morning and stuff like that. It's just always, to this day, I still get like, you know, um, you know, chills if I hear a good song that I haven't heard in a while. So um, it's always got me through stuff. And the wrestling did too. It was funny because people are amazed by this, but I didn't know wrestling was fake till I was like 14 years old. <laughs> 14 or 15. I remember, be, I remember being at a, uh, um, Ivan Putski versus Ken Patero was at some high school in Jersey. I went to go see the match with my dad and they fought, and then we were waiting out back for some autographs after the show, and we saw Putski and Patera get in the same rent-a-car, and my heart was broken. It was almost like my girlfriend was banging my friend, and they just drove away. And I, I, got, I was asking my dad, I'm like, why are they in the same car if they hate each other? And then he broke it to me, and I was heartbroken. It's, uh, it's unfortunate. One of the things about New Jersey, too, is wrestlers uh, breaking kayfabe in cars because later the Iron Sheik and uh, – Hacksaw Jim Duggan would have a little bit of trouble on the turnpike uh, with the same scenario, but obviously that's got to be a uh, it's got to be a hell of a killer there to see uh, Ivan Putski, the Polish power, the, maybe one of the biggest good guys of the day getting inside, but the Olympic strongman uh, Ken Patera. Yeah, and I just you know it's ridiculous that I'm that I you know it took me to 14 or 15 to realize that it wasn't real i guess i just didn't care it was just I, I liked it so much it didn't matter to me you know it's just like it was it was you know it was great to go you know look forward once a month to go to the matches or watch it at saturday night at midnight and stuff like that and uh you know just being into it but when i yeah when i did that when i felt that uh found that it was it wasn't real it was uh it was definitely a, my first heartbreak probably in my uh my life and and then where does comedy come into play? Because, you know, you obviously have gone on to be, you're like, you're a staple of, you know, growing up in New Jersey and, you know, we get the Friday paper and we go to the uh, entertainment section to see uh, what shows are going to be at the comedy clubs. You see Jim Florentine's name. It was always one that you saw. But what led you to comedy? Because obviously uh, you were a natural. Well, you know, I, I, I wanted to be in a band, you know, because of the love of music. And I just, I couldn't play an instrument. I just didn't have the talent for it. I didn't have the ear for the music. I tried many times. It just wasn't working. And then I said, you know what, well, let me be on a, maybe I'll, I'll be a DJ because I love music. And, I, you know, I was, I was working at a station in, like, Hazlitt, New Jersey, where at night they would let you play whatever music you wanted. So I would just bring in, like, heavy metal records and play whatever I wanted. And I'm like, this is great. And I was DJing in rock clubs and, and uh, you know, uh, weddings, and I was having my own DJ business. I'm like, but then once I got on radio and I realized how many rules there were, and I was getting in trouble for just saying that, you know, I wasn't trying to be outrageous, just cracking jokes or whatever. I saw Andrew Dice Clay and like Sam Kinison, those guys 
start doing comedy, and almost brought like a rock star mentality to uh, comedy. And I saw that, I go, man, that's what I want to do. You know, a leather jacket and the dirty jokes, and Sam Kinison, you know, playing in a band. You know, so and, and the, just I said I wanted, you know, I, I wanted to be on stage somehow because I, I couldn't work in an office nine to five. It would have drove me nuts. I could, uh, as somebody who works in an office, uh, you'd probably be the most entertaining guy in that office. So uh, definitely, the people uh, in that office that you could have worked in missed out on uh, on some fine entertainment. No, well, but, you, you know, know look, it, and a lot of it, it works for a lot of people. Like a lot of people can't understand my life. I'm traveling. I'm in hotel rooms off a highway in the middle of friggin' Idaho. You know, for three straight days doing shows. So people are like, how do you live like this? But uh, to me, it, it's it's fun. I I could deal with that. But I you know, but. In, I couldn't work in an office, but a lot of other people would look at my life and go, you know, that's ridiculous. I would never do that. Yeah, a lot of people uh, in my office, so uh, so they'll hear you once a week uh, coming out of the uh, the speakers uh, every Monday, actually, for the uh, Comedy Metal Midgets podcast. We'll get to oh, that nice. shortly as well. But uh, just talking about quickly with Dice, I mean, somebody with the leather jacket and, you know, obviously the, uh, the rhymes and, and the, what he did, he's basically – He's the perfect, like, pro-wrestling villain. He'd probably end up being a good guy because of some of the stuff he says. But, uh, you know, talk about Dice and uh, kind of seeing him as the influence. And uh, I guess does the uh, the myth of Dice really live up to the uh, the man on the stage? Uh, yeah, it was, it, for some reason, it just, when I saw that leather jacket and the dirty jokes and smoking a cigarette, I'm like, man. You know, because I'd watch comedy. I was a comedy fan, but I never thought about doing stand-up. I was a funny guy. You know, like the one cracking one-liners and stuff, uh, guy. But I never really thought about it as a career. But when I saw him up there doing that, I'm like, man, that's something. I, I remember I was cutting lawns for a living. I was like, just you know, in my you know, 22, 23 or something like that, going nowhere basically. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And when I saw him do that, like Rodney Dangerfield special, and then his HBO special, I just said that I, I that's what I want to do. I want to do stand up. And I just started writing jokes. It took me a while to get up on stage. I was petrified. You know, I didn't really want to, you know, I was, I was just nervous. I never liked talking, you know, public speaking, but I just said, look, I just got to do this and block it out. And once I went up once, like an open mic night in Woodbridge, New Jersey, um, I, I was like, this is what I want to do. Even though I didn't get laughs, I got like one laugh or whatever, but I was like, with that adrenaline I heard from that one laugh, I'm like, this is it. And I never looked back. Yeah, and uh, he released a uh, an awesome album a couple of years ago with uh, some of the notes on uh, on some of your early jokes and uh, you know just just listening to some of that it's just uh, it's really funny to you know we do it all the time too with stuff that either we did you know even a year or two ago that we're looking like wow that was pretty uh, that was pretty amazing but you know after putting an act together for the first time and looking back at it you uh, what do you think you did uh, what, what would you tell yourself back then when you first started writing jokes that you know now uh, after looking back at some of those old jokes. You know, I, the thing is, when and every comic goes through this. When you start writing stand up, and you you know you start performing, you think everything you write is is the best thing ever. Like you're gonna, you think you're gonna be on HBO within a year. Like everything, you can't cut anything. Like any any idea you have, like oh my god, this is amazing. And when it doesn't work on stage, you're so surprised. You're like, how does that not work? You know, so you just but, but as you as you 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 know you get more into the stand up and the career, then you realize, look. No matter how long, it could be George Carlin at the end of his career. You don't know until you really try it in front of an audience if it's going to work or not. You could think, still think it's the greatest thing. So I was just writing all this stuff, writing and thinking, because everyone was doing like puns, like these corny puns back then. Some of the guys I work with, so I just thought every joke should be a pun. 
And that's what I just started writing, just thinking of puns, puns, puns. And it was just like, you know, after a while, after like two or three of them in an act, you don't want to beat the audiences over the head with that stuff. And that's what I was doing. The crowd was just staring at me about five minutes in, like, all right, dude, enough with these stupid puns. You got anything else? And I didn't. Is there a, uh, is there a pun that stands out as maybe one of the uh, the highlights? Yes, there was one that always worked that I would like to close my, it was my closing joke. I'd say, uh, yeah, I was walking down the, uh, wait, what is it? Oh, how did it go? I said, I was walking to the beach with one of those Speedo bathing suits on. And this, um, this girl made fun of me or something. I, I forget, I'm, I might be missing something. I go, this girl made fun of me. She looked down the front, she goes, she goes, uh, what do you got a roll of pennies in there? And I go, I go, yeah. You want me to knock some sense into you? <laughs> that is, that's pretty good. <laughs> I like that. that. Yeah, that was the only like kind of that, that for some reason that one would work. So I would always end my show on that one. Without a doubt, yeah. And I know uh, we're going to skip ahead a little bit just because of the sake of time and. Uh, you know, I know uh, I mentioned the podcast, and uh, I just want to get that out there. Uh, we're going to go back to a few things, but with the podcast itself, it's every week, every Monday, Comedy Metal Midgets on Riotcast. I mean, talk about from either awful Facebook posts or vanity license plates or uh, awful slang words. If there's not, a, I swear to God, a time where I'm driving behind somebody and I ha- literally have to put my phone up on the dashboard and pop a picture, and I always say to my wife, I'm going to send the picture today. I'm going to do it today. Or I see a post on Facebook, I take the screenshot. I'm going to send it today. When you started doing the podcast, it was a little bit different, but what, what, what do you love about doing that? These, these, these weekly awful Facebook, awful slang words, do you have a favorite, or where, how did it evolve to the point it's at now? You know, it, it just, um, I didn't realize it was going to take off like this. I just, you know, decided, oh, my God, I need to do – you know, I hate when people are bragging on Facebook about stuff, so let me do a podcast about that. And once I did one, people just went, the response I got from it was amazing. So I'm like, I'm going to try to do another one. And now it's like it's a whole thing. And same with the vanity plates and stuff. People people can feel the frustration. And I think it, it, it helps people like listening to that rage on Monday morning before they have to go to work and sitting in traffic. And and then, they, you know, it makes them participate, too, because, like you said, you're they're looking around for Facebook posts. They'll send them to me or, or vanity plates. So, and it's just really taking off. I'm actually writing a whole book about all of that stuff, like the fa- bad Facebook posts and vanity plates and slang words. When you got to, you know, I'm single now, so I, I'm back on a dating scene. And I got, like, you know, a 42-year-old woman texting me, like, the other day about something. We're trying to make plans. I'm like, all right, maybe we'll make it for another day. And she writes back, whatevs. I'm like, <laughs> You're a 42-year-old woman. I'm not texting a 14-year-old girl. Like a 14-year-old girl should write whatevs. Yeah, that's pretty. And it's just like I don't like the. Yeah, I I just don't like the 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 older generation. You know what I mean? My whole theory is like you don't have to try to be cool anymore. As you're old, once you hit your 30s, it's just be set in your ways. You know what I mean? Who are you trying to impress? You got a mortgage now. You got a kid on the way. You're married. You know, it's like, what, you know, we're not in high school where you want to try to impress people. You're trying to find yourself, or even in college, you're trying to fit in, you know what I mean? But, you know, yeah, once you get out of your 20s, enough with that. So you don't need to say whatevs. You don't need to say and, uh, half the, the shit that's on there. <laughs> what's that? I said you don't have to say half the shit that's on there. 
No, you do, you really don't. But it's, I just hate when people just you know whatever the new Facebook buzzword is, and everybody's saying that. Like a, now everybody's saying like you know uh, you know these parents. Oh, put the kids to bed. Now it's time for a little adulting, and they'll put a they'll take a picture of their beer. You know, because that's a new thing. Like they're an adult because they could drink beer, so they call it adult. Ugh, it drives me nuts. So somebody, some stupid, you know, housefrau wrote that, and now everybody's using that. You know, I, I'm going to do a little adulting this weekend. All right. That's uh, no, that's man. And I took uh, I took my daughter to see a play a couple weeks back, and there must have been it's two like, two a grandma and grandpa had to be in their mid seventies. They had a little kid with them. And the grandma takes out her phone. I swear to God, she takes that thing, sticks it out, you know, a couple inches away. She takes a picture of the three of them. I'm not going to say the word because I'm a man. I don't need to say that word. But she takes mm-hmm. a picture of the three of them in it. And uh, you know everybody who's listening knows what I'm, I'm referring to. And she didn't like it, so she deleted it. And she tried it again. And she didn't like that one. And she deleted it. And she tried it again. And I'm looking at my five-year-old going, do you see this? Like, do, is, this, is this what people do, the 75-year-old women? Is that what drives you nuts when you see that out in public? Yeah, man. It's you know what's happening is it's really it's messing up society. I mean, if you look at it, if you if you can cut through all the bullshit with it, because it's it's really messing with people. You know, it's turning everyone into narcissists. First of all, which is really bad, where they got to take seventeen pictures before they like the one that they're going to post. So you know, everyone go, "Wow, you look good," or whatever like that. It's like it's scary that. You you know, people are going to be there for 20, 30 minutes. They're filtering. They're putting this. They're putting black and white on it, this and that. You know, let me put this color so I look better. And it's like, it's re- it's it's not good. It's not going to end well for a lot of these people that are doing that because they're just, there's so much pressure on them for every picture to look good. And if they don't, then they feel bad about themselves and they take another one and they took six and they, you know, they still don't like it. And like, oh my God, I'm so ugly. You know what I mean? So it's like, what are you doing? Just live your life, and if just take the picture and just post it. Who cares what you look like? When I when I take pictures with people after a show, like, hey, can we get a picture? I'm like, yeah. And they go, oh, you you want to look at it? I go, no. Oh, maybe should we take another one? I go, no, it's good. I go, look, I, you know, I'm taking it with some other guy. I go, look, we're two we're two mediocre looking guys. We're not going to get better. We're not wearing makeup. Who cares? I'm wearing a black Sabbath shirt. You're wearing a, a twisted sister shirt. Just post it wherever you're going to post it. Yeah, that's uh, that's hilarious. And I'll tell you what, it was funny. Uh, I saw you in uh, in Baltimore uh, last summer, and uh, the reason I, I'm only going to mention this is because it, it was it's something that did stand out. I want to see if you remember this. There was a uh, a very older female bachelor at party at this uh, at McGooby's in uh, in Timonium, and uh, it was just kind of funny to see you know how they were acting. And that's to me, that's the uh, antithesis of the Facebook uh, crowd is the Older woman bachelorette party acting like, you know, slobs, acting like idiots at a comedy show on a, uh, on a Saturday night. And I think we even went to the early show, too, which was kind of funny. But uh, is that what you, do you first of all, do you remember that show? Secondly, you know, does that stuff happen often where these just loud older people just really interrupt the shit out of your show? Well, whenever it's a bachelorette party or a bachelor party or just a big group, usually if it's a bunch of females or a bunch of males, they're always a problem. Nine times out of ten, they're a problem because you got amateurs in that group. You got rookies. You you got people that haven't been out in a while, and they start drinking in an ungodly hour, you know. And then they and they just you know drink way too much, and then they act out. 
You know, and they, they just can't sit there for an hour and a half. They, they realize, why are we even in a comedy show? Like, we should be doing something else, or they're bored. And there's probably infighting at the tables. All this is going on. Yeah, so whenever you're mixing booze with a girls' night out, it's 90% is going to be a problem. Because, yeah, I do that. You know, that's your joke. Yeah, I went to uh, surfing the other day. Yeah, I do that, too. I mean, my boyfriend are going next week. I'm like, okay, you really didn't have to yell that out. I'm not asking if anyone else was going surfing. But that's what you get. So, yeah, it's almost like babies. I feel like the substitute teacher up there sometimes. I do remember that. I remember exactly where he was sitting, too, on, like, the second yeah. level to the left, yeah. stage left, if I'm on the stage. Yes. Oh, it was, they were, I mean, you know, little, uh, rather portly, uh, a couple of them. They were, uh, they were loud. They were ordering food in the middle of the set. You know, they were getting up. They were walking around, and it was like everybody was doing the, you know, the head turn and looking. And I was just, when I was turning to my buddy, I said, it's only a matter of time. I was like, it's only a matter of time before he gets them. And that was, uh, it was one of the highlights of that show. And I try to be nice. Like, I'll try to, like, hey, what's going on? Shh, shh, you know, re- relax up there. All right? Yeah, I got this. Don't worry about it. You know, I try to be nice. I don't go attack them right off the bat. But then after three or four times, I'm like, all right, it's on. Then. You know, if you're not going to pay attention, you're just going to be disrespectful, then fine. Because, you know, you know what the thing is with that is when they're chatting and they're making noise and want attention and ruining the show is they're the same people that are going to be in a movie the next day, sober, in a movie theater and, and be bitching about teenagers behind them talking and texting and making noise. And they're like, oh, my God, these, pe- these young generation is so rude. There's a movie on it. They're talking, shh. Yeah, I, I, I'm never going to the theater again. People just talk. I couldn't understand. That's what you're doing at the comedy show. But you're just under the influence, and you don't realize it. <laughs> Skipping ahead just a little bit, just want to talk about a great, great show. Obviously, you were a major part of and that was Crank Yankers. Let's talk a little bit about the, you know, the thought process of putting that show together and the awesome prank calls that follow. You know, I, look, I it, it was amazing that the, the timing when that show came out of how I got that gig. I just I put a CD out where I was messing with telemarketers. You know, as a stand-up comic, I had a lot of free time during the day, and I would just do shows at night. So I'd wait for telemarketers to call my phone. And I'd try to keep them on the phone for like an hour. Because I really had nothing going on, so I would just try to bust their balls. And I started recording them, you know, as a goof. And I said, maybe I'll release this. I'll put a CD out. I'll sell them after my shows. I'll try to get my name out there, make a few bucks or whatever. My buddy Don Jameson uh, knew Gary Delabate from the Stern Show, the producer. And he goes, hey, I'll give it to Gary. You know, you never know. We met with Gary. And Gary says, all right, fine. He goes, if it's funny, we'll play it on the air. I don't know. You know, I'll, I'll listen. we'll see. And the next day, Howard Stern started playing it. Three weeks later, like, he has me in on a show. And then a month after that, all of a sudden, Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla looking for guys to do prank calls, you know, for a new show to do on Comedy Central called Crank Eggers. And they were listening to a Stern show, and they heard the, my calls on there. And they called the producer up. They go, who is that guy that makes those calls? We're doing a show. We want him. And, you know, it just happened that quick. It was crazy because in the history of TV, there's never been a prank phone call show. I wound up releasing a CD, and, and you know, four months later, I'm on a, a TV show on Comedy Central. Hmm. Crazy way things work out. But just and that was another thing in my childhood. Uh, between pro wrestling and listening to heavy metal is I was grounded a lot. I went to Catholic school. I was rebelling. You know what I mean? So, I, you know, I was always, my mom would be like, go to your room, stay in your room today, you're grounded. So I'd make prank phone calls. 
I just sit by the phone and just make prank calls. So when I was a kid, I was always doing that. So by the time I got the gig on Crank Anchors, I was a professional. Hmm. That's great. I mean, sitting at home making prank phone calls is a pastime that a lot of uh, you know other guys definitely love. And obviously, you know, the guys like Richard and Sal from the Stern Show definitely you think yeah, played a. Uh, you kind of played a part in their career a little bit because obviously now they're known for making some prank phone calls. Do you think you're almost like a mentor to some of those guys from the Stern Show? No, no. The, the, you know, the jerky boys are the ones who started it. I mean, well, not started, but took the calls to another level, like with profanity and stuff. You know, the two bar calls are, are, are classics. Um, no, I think their stuff is more. No, I don't think so. It's just, you know. If you're good at messing with people, you're good at messing with people, you know. And the Jerky Boys were really—if I had to give anyone credit, I would give them the credit. Even though I wasn't a jer- I wasn't a prank phone call fan, I just never listened to them. I, you know, when I hear one here and there, I thought it was funny, but I was just my telemarketer thing. I was just like, I'm just gonna—I was just messing around. I didn't think anyone was gonna think it's funny until I started putting these calls, started playing them for people. Like, man, this stuff is really good. I'm like, you think? I just thought it was me being an idiot. It made myself laugh. I didn't think it was going to make anyone else laugh. But Richard and Sal are phenomenal. I mean, they're so good. We, me and Don James had put a telemarketer CD out uh, in December, and we didn't put one out for like seven years. And I'm like, you know what? Richard and Sal are on the top of their game. You know, I'm a big fan of the Stern Show and those guys and their friends of mine. I go, we can't even top that, so why are we even going to do another one? But then we just decided after a while we had some downtime. Let's make another one. But those guys are phenomenal. I love them. They're just bust balls. It's funny to look at the kind of like the Jerky Boys are you know the first and greatest, and then you guys came along, and then obviously Richard and Sal now are like you said at the top of their game with Frank. But I definitely used to uh, call some telemarketers myself and actually pretend I was some pro wrestlers. At one time, uh, I pretended I was a guy Bill Goldberg, and I got into a little bit of trouble because his phrase is "You're next" or "Who's next." And they took it as a threat. So. Oh really? <laughs> oh yeah. It took took a little uh, play uh, play out of your playbook, but uh, it turned around on me. But as far as your calls and stuff, do you have a favorite prank call you did or a favorite character that you would pull? Um, I think the one that pretty much put my calls on the map is when I, I pretend I'm getting my grandfather a bath when this telemarketer <laughs> calls, and I got my buddy there with a bucket of water and we're splashing. And he's, you know, talking like an old man, like, wash me, Jimmy. And the woman's <laughs> like, what's going on? I got, I'm just giving my grandfather a bath. Because I always want to see how far I can push the telemarketer, like, will they hang up? And then while she's going to her pitch, he he won't stop talking. I'm like, will you shut up? And I said, hold on a second, miss. And I stick his head under the water, and I start drowning him. <laughs> and, yeah, and all she hears is, she goes, what, what's going on over there? I go, I just put his head under the water because he won't shut up. I want to get the information. Don't worry about it. Just keep going. And she goes right back into a pitch like there's nothing going on. <laughs> she didn't care. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then he dies at the end. Like all of a sudden, like after a minute, I, I just complete silence. I go, uh oh. She goes, what happened? I go, oh, he's not breathing. She goes, well, I go, what should I do? She goes, well, take his head out of the water. I'm like, oh man. I go, what should I do? I don't. She goes, call nine one one. I go, what should I tell him? I don't want to get in trouble. She goes, um, just say he fell. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> You know, she's trying to come up with a murder to make a sale. And I'm like, all right, I'll call in a second. Could you give me that information one more time? And she goes right back into her pitch. <laughs> when she thinks there's a guy that's not breathing, it's great. 
definitely uh, heartless. She wanted that sale, though, and, and it's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she called back like an hour later. She goes, hey, what happened to your grandfather guy? That guy, he died. She goes, yeah, well, maybe it was time for him to go. I'm like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I drowned a guy. It wasn't his time. She really, really wanted that sale. I, I love her. I know. About it. <laughs> no, but uh, getting back to your, you know, your, your wrestling roots, it's, it's so interesting that, you know, obviously you're a huge fan or, you know, you were a huge fan in the 70s. That's kind of considered the golden era, the golden age of wrestling. Looking back, do you have a favorite match you can like pinpoint? Maybe a couple of favorite matches that you just absolutely loved. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know if I had a favorite match, but I always loved the steel cage matches. They were always great, you know. For some reason, I was, um, you know, when you, there was no ref, you just basically had to get to the top. I was just, we, me and uh, my son were just watching Abdullah Butcher versus the original Sheik oh, wow. in a steel cage match. That you remember the original Sheik? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. He was my father's favorite wrestler, and he was like the dirtiest wrestler of all time. Like he was known for that. He was just like completely insane. And, like, there's even rumors that it was really, like, he was really insane. He wasn't like George Animal Steel, where he was a professor at a college or whatever he was. Um, but, yeah, so I was showing him. I was telling, he was like, I want to see your dad's favorite wrestler. So I was showing him that, and he was uh, he was fascinated. But I always loved the steel cage matches. And, um, you know, when, of course, when anyone ever bled, I always loved them, too. You know, and it's actually, it's funny because, uh, you know, talking about bleeding and talking about, you know, old wrestlers, it's funny, a really funny clip that I just saw for the first time the other day, and it's a wrestling tie-in to you, and you're on the Insane Clown Posse show, and I, I forget what the name of the, their, their movie show that they do, or you guys are watching music videos, uh, but Greg the Hammer Valentine <laughs> plays like their bouncer, they're, they're heavy, and uh, you had some hilarious interactions with, uh, with the Hammer. What do you think about meeting him up close and... Uh, and getting to see those uh, stringy blonde locks uh, right up in front of you. It was great meeting him. I mean, I met him. I, I told the story because I met him and Brutus, Brutus uh, the barber beef cake, in an airport one time, and I got a picture with him years ago, and I brought that up. And uh, but it was great just hanging with him. I'm like, oh my god, that's Greg the Hammer Valentine. I was always a big fan of his too. Always uh, loved him. And I, I just saw a match recently where he was wrestling. Where you know he's, he, uh, uh, it was rough. It was a little, you know, you felt bad for him. It, was like in a, it looked like in a high school with, like, nine people there. Yeah, he's a weekend warrior still. He's uh, He still hits the pavement pretty uh, pretty extensively, which is uh, was kind of funny because he's uh, definitely getting up there in age. And there's a couple of them, like, uh, you know, former guest of ours, uh, Tito Santana. He still gets at it. You know, he's, uh, he's pretty active. But he can, you know, he can get around a little bit better than the hammer these days. I, look, I was, uh, you know, I used to tour with um, the Killers of Comedy. It was a bunch of, it was Richard and Sal from the Stern Show and Beetlejuice. And the Iron Sheik was on a lot of those shows. And I was touring with the Iron Sheik, and it was so cool to be hanging with him. And that's uh, that's definitely, uh, that's a rare thing to uh, to be said in the wrestling world, because uh, anytime the Sheik gets involved, he and this is the Iron Sheik, not the original Sheik, he... Uh, he definitely is. Uh, he's a ball of uh, a ball of craziness. But uh, we didn't even get a chance to mention that metal show. And as we were getting to uh, wrap up here, I uh, just want to mention it quickly because uh, right now, I mean, what's the status of the show? I mean, I know you guys are now no longer on VH1 Classic, but the show's not, I, I guess, officially 
done. Is there still plans to revive it someplace else? Yeah, they're trying right now. Uh, VH1 Classic basically dropped the show. It's more of the whole company, Viacom, owns VH1 Classic and Comedy Central and MTV and VH1 and uh, Nickelodeon. They're getting their ass kicked. They've been getting their ass kicked for like the last three years, so they're making major cuts everywhere. And one of our show, you know, our show didn't make it, but they did give us, did say, hey, you guys can go shop the show, and if you get a new home, go, you know, we'll be happy for you. So a lot of networks don't do that. They own the show, and they go, too bad, it's gone, and that's it. So we got an agent out there shopping, and, you know, we'll probably know in like a month or two. I'd say there's probably like a 50% chance of it getting picked up on another network. So we'll see. Well, that's awesome, yeah. I mean, see, Rock Royalty, you know, the guys you guys you have interviewed, you know, Axel and Slash and Lemmy and Rob Halford and members of Metallica, Kiss, Alice Cooper, Sammy Hagar, and, of course, we can't forget Chris Jericho, the wrestling tie-in there, but do you have a favorite guest that you just couldn't, you know, really either hold it in because you're such a, a big metal fan or uh, somebody you never thought you'd get the chance to interview? Probably Tony Iommi. Because Black Sabbath, oh, okay. wow. Black Sabbath is my favorite band. Then we had Iommi on, which was amazing, you know, because he lives in England. You know, a right. lot of the guys that live in L.A., when we taped out there, they were kind of easy to get. But Iommi actually flew in for England, from England for the, for the show to do. So I think that was my biggest one. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw him, uh, you know, kind of going over a comprehensive list. I saw him on there, and he definitely stands out amongst uh, a list of guys that just is like, it's mind-blowing, but touching on Jericho quickly, uh, what do you think about Chris Jericho making that transition uh, kind of back and forth? He goes from wrestler to musician, back to wrestler, back to musician, also a successful uh, podcast host. But what, uh, what do you think about uh, Y2J? I love Jericho. He's a, he's a friend, and, um, you know, his band is great, man. I'm a metalhead, and, you know, it's, it's no joke. You know, he's on real tours. It's not like he's not on, like, these joke tours where, like, ah, oh, the band's just a goof. His band is really good. They write good songs. He's a, he's a great front man, and, uh, you know, the wrestling stuff. He does everything. The guy's amazing. He's all over the place. He's a good dude. He really is. And he knows his metal. It's unbelievable. I I actually just listened to him. I was telling John, I listened to him on a KISS podcast where he's been on it like three or four times, and he does two hours each time he's on with these guys, and it's like it's so impressive that he could just, Talk about you know, you know the music side of things. Not even mention wrestling in one breath, and it's uh, it's really cool. He's such a great uh, great entertainer. But before we let you go, and this is how we end it with the wrestling guest, and I kind of would love to hear what you have to say about this. But we usually ask them. It's like a twofold. It's either like a where do you see yourself in five years? You know, we would say, are you still you know going to be in the business, or are you going to be retiring, or what? Or we say, you know. What's your legacy when you look back? And I want to ask you that one. When you look back at, you know, your comedy days and, you know, when you're old and gray and you're no longer getting out on the stage anymore, what do you think you're going to be leaving behind uh, to the comedians of the future? And what's Jim Florentine's legacy in comedy? I don't know. I mean, you know, probably, you know, if anything, I guess because I, I – I always did it myself. I didn't wait for anyone in the industry to tell me, okay, you're going to be good now. You can release this. You could do this. The Most of the stuff that I got in my career is I just, without an agent, without a manager, I just did it myself. Like like this this comedy special I'm putting out, um, I'm, I'm putting it out myself. I've been waiting. For, we, we almost had a deal with the company, and then they backed out at the last minute. I'm like, I'm not waiting anymore. I'm just putting it out myself, and eventually someone might pick it up later. Or I don't even care. There's enough fans out there that will buy and support it. So what am I waiting for? You know, just I always just 
I almost acted like like a metal band playing to clubs or a punk rock band. Just sell, you know, have my own merchandise, get my name out there, get a mailing list. You know, uh, I'd have a, you know, a notebook and have people say, put your email address in here. I'll email you when I come back to town. Just and build a following like that. Put a prank phone call CD out. Whatever, whatever is going to work. You know, so just have my hands in a lot of different things. Knowing that I'm not just going to kiss my kiss ass to the industry and just say, okay, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. You don't want to be edgy. You want me to be like a smiley, likable comedian with no edge whatsoever, middle of the road. Fine, if that's what you want. I was like, no, I'm going to do what I think is funny, and that you know, and uh, hopefully, you know, if you, I was never worried about getting a hundred percent of the audience. You know, that comes to see you or whatever. You know, people are going to, you know, you're never, no matter who you are, you're not. So I just said, I'm going to focus on the people that like me, not the people that don't, and just build the following up like that. So I think that's what I would like to leave. Like, just fucking, just have some balls and just go out and try to do it yourself and see what happens. You're going to fail a bunch of times, but you're also going to get places you never thought you would get just by doing it yourself and not waiting for everybody else. Uh, it's awesome. Yeah, that's so great. That's such a, a, a well-said way to look at it, and I, uh, I, I'm overly thrilled to uh, to see the I'm Your Savior finally uh, coming out on April 1st, DVD, CD, which is very cool, and a digital download on iTunes, wherever you get your, uh, your streaming uh, media, but... I, I got to tell you, you know, please share with the uh, listeners and the fans of the two-man power trip of wrestling where they can find Jim Florentine. And I just want to personally thank you very much for uh, for coming on tonight. Oh, yeah, no problem, man. I had a blast. I love talking all wrestling and stuff. Uh, no, you just, all my stuff's on JimFlorentine.com. And if you want to order the digital download of the special, it comes out April 1st. If you put promo code uh, Florentine in, you'll get the digital download for 5 bucks. So it's worth it to just to see Ivan Koloff with the belt for five bucks. I got a picture of Haystacks Calhoun in there. Come on. Who else has that in the comedy special? 601 pounds from Stone Mountain, Georgia. That's hilarious. You know what? It's funny. I'm just doing a little bit of research on it, too. You know, there's other people who do talk about the guy that, uh, you know, was uh, was kind of preying on you there. there on some, there's, like, these really old wrestling forum websites where – they were talking about a guy outside Madison Square Garden who turned out to be a registered sex offender that was preying on kids by selling them wrestling pictures. And I said, hey, that's a hell of a tie-in for this interview. Yeah, you know what? And, and in my special, I have a picture of his, his, his mugshot as a sex offender on the sex offender website. <laughs> I have his picture in there. <laughs> no, I know, because when I went on Howard Stern and I told that, that, that uh, story, I had like nine people contact me and said, dude, was this guy's name, whatever, I won't say his name, the, you know, um, was this, I'm like, yep, that's the guy, and like, oh my God, it was a similar story, so there was so many, the guy was a predator, and then he's, he's living in Thailand now, of course, that'd be a perfect spot oh, for him. Perfect, yeah, yeah. he fits in, fits in well, sorry to our uh, folk over in Thailand, <laughs> well, Again, thank you so much. Uh, I can't even say all the best because uh, you know it's just it's uh, it's and we live with you every week, every Monday. Comedy Med- Metal Midgets podcast and uh, keep up the amazing work. I'll be uh, I'll be seeing you down at uh, Magoobie's uh, later this summer. Yeah, I'm going to be there in August. I can't, I love that club. Yeah, it's a great place. I li- I'm a you know I I said Jersey guy. I moved down here a few years ago to uh, to Virginia, so I trek up to Magoobie's uh, when you're here. So. Uh, Oh, beautiful. Cool, forward. man. We'll come say hi after the show, definitely. Oh, definitely will. Yeah, appreciate I'm it. No, no problem. outside of yards in Baltimore in an Orioles game, and there's two guys 
that brought their baseball mitts in their mid-30s. If you're with your son and your son's like, Dad, bring your mitt, maybe catch a foul ball, no problem. But when you're two grown men, no reason to bring your baseball mitt to a game to catch a foul ball. They're also scoring the game with a scorebook. Nobody gives a shit. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to show your friends when you get home, hey, I scored the game last night, you want to look at it? No. Why are, you bringing your ba- why are you bringing your mitts to a game? There's no reason for that. Just go in this souvenir shop, buy a ball, and go post it on Facebook. I caught a, I caught a ball. And these guys are drunk and hitting on every chick at the, walking by. Imagine if some girls actually are interested in them. They go, hey, let's go to a bar right outside of Camden Yards. We'll go hang. And they get to the door and the bouncer's like, you can't bring your baseball mitts in this, in this bar. And like, yeah, but we went to the game. Like, and then he looks, he goes, you guys are 35 years old. This has your ID. This must be fake because there's no way 35-year-old grown men would bring a baseball mitt to a game to catch a foul ball. And why do you have a scorebook in your hand? Get out of here. You're not getting in. And then the girls go in and they're left in the dust. Or they're going to go, hey, girls, can you wait? We're going to go put our mitts and our scorebook in the car and we'll be right back. Those guys are never getting laid. Stop it with the mitts. Just go buy a damn ball.